Acts chapter 5, verse 30. Some of you have been standing all day, so you can sit in a minute or two. Acts 5, 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him have God exalted with his right hand, with his power, to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The apostle Peter is giving a response here that I'll explain later. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey him. Last Wednesday night, I spoke on the theme to testify. So tonight, I want to speak on the witness of the Spirit. God bless you. Please be seated. I spoke on this theme before. I got on a train of thought, and so this is like the fully revised witness of the Spirit message. And it fits what we're trying to accomplish right now in our church. Now, last Wednesday night, I, I taught on the theme testify. Your testimony is very powerful. And in review, to testify is to witness, attest, or prove by an eyewitness account. It's to give evidence or proof of something existing or of something being the case, that it really happened or exists. Your testimony is very powerful. Legal sentences are meted out based on credible testimonies. Your testimony is unique. My testimony, my salvation testimony is unique in several ways. But there are also commonalities in our testimonies. We all have a before, a how, and a now. We all have before Christ, how we came to God, and now how he has changed our life. We all have that common component of our testimony. But there's another component to your testimony that makes it exponentially more powerful. When you testify of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, that good news in itself, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. When you testify to the power of the gospel, your words are very powerful. It was God who created the world, worlds, by his words. And he chose by the foolishness of preaching, by the proclamation of the gospel, that the preaching itself, the word of God, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Words have power to them, amen? But there's something beyond the words that is spoken, it is a second witness. It is like the power of a corroborating testimony that gives evidence or witness to what is spoken. It makes it more certain. In a trial, a court trial, a second witness is very powerful. And the Bible teaches that we are his witnesses and so also is the Holy Ghost. There is a corroborating testimony that God gives when you witness. He backs up what you say by the power of his spirit. Now, the Bible speaks quite a bit about the power of two or three witnesses. The evidence of two or three witnesses is established 
in the Bible, in God's word, Deuteronomy 19.15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So in a legal matter in the Old Testament, in the sentencing of judgment, there had to be two or three witnesses. Numbers 35, 30 echoes that same idea by the mouth of witnesses, but one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, when Jesus is dealing with church discipline, he says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. We're going to bring clarity. We're going to bring a corroborating testimony. That's what we're going to do. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13.1. And he said, this is the third time that I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. He was writing to Timothy about dealing with accusations that might come against leaders. And Paul told him that you should never receive an accusation against an elder, but in by two or three witnesses. The writer of Hebrews is referring back to the law of Moses in Hebrews 10.28. But he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now, the Bible is a book of wisdom in dealing with relationships. It's good to get your facts straight, get them right. Usually, there's at least three sides to a story, your side, my side, and the truth, the objective truth. And that other witness comes to testify, comes to clarify, comes to corroborate what is spoken. And, and the Bible is wise. These principles of two or three witnesses have applications to even to legal matters and to church matters as well. The Lord had something in mind when he established two or three witnesses. There's an intriguing passage in John chapter 8, 817 on the screens. It is also written in your law. I like the way Jesus said that because he's having a debate there about his identity he said, there's, a, there's also in your law that his testimony of two men is true. Now, they were saying that he was testifying of himself. So I want to read through a little lengthy passage in the New King James, John 8, 12, this very passage, this scripture that we just read, and I want you to see the words of Jesus. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you be a witness of yourself, your witness is not true. In other words, they said, it's just you, you're all by yourself. And you say you're the light of the world. But why should we believe that? You've only got one witness. So Jesus said to them, Jesus answering said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from, and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from uh, and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I 
am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. That's that, that's that verse. I am one who bears witness of myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Remember when Jesus said, you may not believe me, but believe me for the work's sake. That's that second witness. John 8, 17 and 18, those last two verses. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Now, this is amazing that your personal testimony is a powerful witness. Testify. That was the entire message last Wednesday night. But there needs to be an additional testimony, right, to give that witness even more credibility. That witness could be another person corroborating. Somebody might say, well, yeah, I knew that guy, that lady, before they came to God. And I can tell you that there's been a transformation. So they can corroborate that testimony, and they can tell someone who's kind of disbelieving that only God could do that. Only God could deliver them. So there's that. But for Jesus and for us, that second witness is the witness of the Spirit. It is when God not only anoints your words, but he backs you up with the power of his Spirit. Now, what Jesus spoke about, this second witness of the Holy Ghost, is the same idea conveyed in our text in Acts chapter 5. This dual witness, this testimony of two people, you, human being, and God Almighty by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to give a little background, and we're going to get to that text in just a few minutes. But the power of God that anointed Jesus Christ was also on the church. And I want to just share with you some common passages, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, I'm glad we know the name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So Jesus said, I want you to go, and I'm going to go with you. By the power of his Spirit, he would go. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. These are, these are those great commission passages in the gospel. And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned or damned, the King James says. And these signs shall follow them that believe. You believe, you're going to go, and there are some signs that are going to go with you. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And by the way, not on purpose. It happened to Paul, Acts 27, after the shipwreck. You know, Acts 27, 28, he's building a fire. A viper comes out, fastens on his hand. He shakes it off in the fire. They expect him to die, but he doesn't. And he goes from being an escaped criminal to a god to them, right? Going to speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink 
any deadly thing. We don't really have a New Testament example of that, but maybe an old when they drank out of that pot that God healed, you know. It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Luke's Great Commission passage, Luke 24, 46, and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You're going to go, and you're going to go everywhere and say this. And behold, verse 49, Luke 24, 49, these verses are not on the screen, so I just don't have an overwhelming number of verses. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You're going to go, but you need to wait for that power because it will go with you. John 20, 21 and 22. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And no one received the Holy Ghost, but he was giving them a hint. He breathed on them. The same God that breathed life into Adam is giving them a hint about the power of the Spirit. The Greek is pneuma, right? It's the wind of God. And now Acts 1 and 8. We'll display this verse. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power's dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. It's this very powerful stuff that God put in you. And I know sometimes we think that power is walk right, talk right. And that it does that. Amen. It's going to quicken your mortal body. Amen. Hopefully it does that daily to resist temptation. And when that last trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and then we are raised incorruptible, it's going to quicken our body then. Amen? So the Spirit does a lot in our lives. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, under the uttermost part of the earth. These are the promises that Jesus made us, made every believer, that power of the Holy Ghost that fell at Pentecost that we celebrated on Sunday gave them power to go, power to witness, power to stand against temptation, power to lay down their lives in martyrdom. It was powerful. And every disciple that went everywhere was empowered by that second witness, the power of of the Holy Ghost. Mark 16, 20, and that Great Commission passage, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, amen. That's the second testimony. That's God backing you up. That's God going with you. That's God not leaving you, hanging you out to dry that you would ever share your story and share the gospel and it would be powerless. Amen. The Lord was working with them. And I've really come tonight to just assure you that when you testify, God is going to join that testimony. If you're silent, you get nothing. 
But if you tell it, he'll join your testimony. There'll be a corroborating testimony that comes from heaven that is more powerful than yours. Amen? Not in my notes when Paul is witnessing to Felix. The Bible said that Felix trembled. There was no miracle worked. But when Paul preached the gospel to him, the power of conviction fell on him. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart. Amen? They felt the conviction of the power of that word. God is never going to leave you without his secondary witness to empower you as you tell the story. Amen. Which leads me to our text, Acts 5.32, the heart of that text. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, which God has given to them that obey them. The second witness, the witness of the Spirit. So I want to take just a few minutes and catch you up from Acts 1 to Acts chapter 5 to this story. Acts chapter 1, we're waiting and praying. The appointment of someone to replace Judas Iscariot, Matthias, is selected. Acts 2, the Spirit falls. People are drawn to the power. Peter preaches. 3,000 are converted that day. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Acts 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a lame man is healed. It is a notable miracle, and it leads to the first persecution that follows up with some more persecution. They call Peter and John in, and they ask them in Acts 4, 7, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, they have a reason for this. It's political. It's not sincere, but they're relying on the Old Testament law because if you're Pharaoh's magicians and you perform a miracle, that doesn't mean you're of God. It can be a lying wonder. And if someone was not in truth and worked a miracle, they would be put to death. So they're using the technicality of this scripture to ask them, by what power and by what name have you done this? They think they've got them on the spot. But then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now, I can't help but pause right here. He's the rejected stone. He's the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. He's the one that is cast aside. He did not meet their criteria as a conquering savior. He challenged their political positions and all of that, right? So they just kicked him out. And Jesus only fits one place at the head of the corner as the Lord of your life. Amen? And anywhere else, he just makes you miserable. Yes, he does. But he's become the head of the corner. And this is the verse we love. We love them all. Verse 12 on the screens. Neither is there salvation 
in any other. For there is none other name. Can't help but get emotional about the name of Jesus Christ. For there is none other name, amen, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. It is the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. When Peter and John looked at that man, they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. And immediately his feet and ankle bone received strength, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple for the very first time. A previously lame man that could not go in the house of God went that day. He's standing there with Peter and John. This is all in these passages, and they couldn't say anything about it. You know, he's healed. They knew him. They knew he sat there and begged at the gate, beautiful, but now he's healed. So that's Acts 4. Everybody with me? Pretty powerful stuff in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. Well, we've got Ananias and Sapphira. We have judgment in the New Testament where two people are struck dead by the Holy Ghost for lying to the Holy Ghost, not for holding back part of their imagined offering. It was lying about it. <laughs> Barnabas had land, sold it, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira sold land, decided they'd keep back part of the price, and Peter told them, well, it was yours, was in your power. You didn't have to lie. Amen? So there you go. That's that. Verse 12. And then after this, by the hands of the apostles, were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. And the rest, there was no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers the more were added to the church, multitudes, both to men and women. And verse X515, I'm kind of leading to this text, Okay? Inasmuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk of them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed Every one. That's our heritage. The high priest didn't like it. He rose up. The Sadducees are filled with indignation. They lay hands on the apostles and throw them into jail. A common prison. The angel of the Lord comes at night, opens the doors, brings them out, and said, I want you to run for cover. Get out of the country. No, the angel did not say that. I want you to go right back to the temple. Stand in the temple and speak into the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, you know, this is a really bad decision. They're going to get caught again. They went back in the temple early in the morning and they taught. The high priest comes and those that were with him, they call a council together. All the sin into the children of Israel, they send to the prison to have them brought. They go in the jail, but they're not there. And they returned and they said, well, the prison was shut. The keepers were standing outside the doors 
It's got to be a weird feeling. You're guarding the prisoners who have vanished. And when we opened the door, we found no men within. And I, priest, captain of the priests, heard these things. They doubted where to this would grow. Like, okay, this is an inside job, right? They would never believe that God did this. So they're wondering what is going on here behind the scenes. They came and then somebody told them, the men that you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching people. And they went, captain of the officers, and brought them without violence for fear of the people as they would have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This is kind of coming into where this text is. And they said, did we... Did not we straightly command you? I love this because, you know, we're the political leaders. We're the religious leaders. And we are in charge. This is when it is okay to disobey civil authority. And in this case, religious authority. Did we not command you that you should not teach in this name? They told them the name, all right, in Acts 4.12. And behold... What an indictment. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, let me see. I think just a few days ago, you all were saying, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Did you not just say that? Then verse 29. She'd been waiting on the text. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, I want to stop right here to say Romans 13 teaches about obeying civil authority or to pray for kings and all them that are in authority, the Bible teaches us. But now we are talking about religious persecution. We're talking about it becoming illegal to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Illegal to preach. And you have to decide whether you're going to trust God or capitulate to the culture. They said we ought to obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers. He's going to preach a little bit. God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew, hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost. We've been preaching this, and we're not going to stop. And the lame man that was healed, that was a second witness. It was the witness of the Holy Ghost that backed up our words. Amen. Now, it's interesting that after this, if you look in your Bibles, if you're following along, in Acts 5.33, the Bible said when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. And they didn't repent. They took counsel to slay them. We are his witnesses. And we ought to obey God rather than men. We just tell what we've seen and we've heard. We share our testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for us everywhere we go, but before, how, now of our story. And when we testify, something happens. When we speak, the Spirit speaks. There is the witness of the Holy Ghost that backs us up every time. In the ministry of Jesus, it, were the, 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 it was a supernatural signs. The supernatural signs confirmed his identity. Uh, one of my Life of Christ books is called The Words and Works of Jesus Christ. 
It was his, the words he taught, but it was more than that. It was the power of the Holy Ghost that authenticated him, that validated who he was, that he was indeed the Messiah, God come in the flesh. Amen. So I want to say it again, that the Lord is not going to leave you stranded. He will not leave you comfortless or orphans. He will come to you. He will be with you even to the end. As you go and you tell your story, God's story, amen, in your life, he's going to back you up. And when you speak for him, he stands with you and speaks on your behalf by the Holy Ghost. There are times that he will confirm his word with miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. It may be that he convicts with the Holy Ghost as the story I shared about Felix who trembled, those that were cut to the heart. We leave it up to God how he confirms his word. But when your words echo God's word, then they do bring conviction. They cut to the heart. They move people because the word of God, and this is where it's in my notes, the word of God is quick and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and then this last phrase, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When, when the Bible is preached or taught or shared across a table or no matter where it is, the word of God has an amazing power to go right to the heart of that person. Because preaching is what I often do. I'm amazed at how many times people will say, you have no idea what you said today. We were talking about that on the way to church. That's what I was reading in my Bible. I cannot do that. I don't have that ability. But the word of God is quick. It's alive. And it is powerful. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. That's why in our church we place a strong emphasis on preaching the Bible. My words will pass away. His word will never pass away. My words might return void, but his word will never return void. Amen? So it, when, you, when you testify, when you tell the word of God, it may just be in a calm tone, in a Bible study, but God backs you up. He promised he would, and he does. Amen. Miracles confirm the word of God. When Jesus promised that he would be in the church, and he is in the church. And I want to share with you just a few verses in Acts that kind of underscore this idea. Acts 4.33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace was upon them all. So the apostles are preaching. And with great power, the Holy Ghost gives them, gives them witness with miracles, signs, and wonders. They preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the apostolic proclamation of the resurrected Christ. He died, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, sent back his spirit. You must be born again. Amen? When you just tell the story, it's powerful in itself. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But when you tell that story that some people think is a fairy tale, is a myth, that's just a Christian thing, 
That word has life and it has power. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Amen. Praise God. So the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, he preaches about this and he tells them that you killed Jesus. God raised him up. We're his witnesses. And he says in Acts 2.33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed for this which you now see in here. This is the day of Pentecost. He's telling them. All these people speaking in tongues, this God has done this. You're hearing these people speak in your languages. Brother DJ said 15 different languages, 18 people groups. You're hearing them talk in your language. That's God backing you up, amen? They preach salvation. In Acts 5 and 12, by the hands of the apostles, were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Acts 5, 31. I'll just go all the way right to verse 32, our text. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost. In the preaching of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 8, the Bible said in Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Let me remind you who Stephen was. Stephen was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, of an honest report. He's one of six men, seven men rather, who are chosen in Acts chapter 6 to oversee a benevolence committee. Remember the dispute among the Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows that they were getting their fair share of the benevolence money. So he's put over a benevolence committee with seven men total. And now, here's Stephen. He doesn't have, he's not, doesn't have credentials with the United Pentecostal Church. He is not called a preacher. He's a volunteer in the church. And all of a sudden, he's preaching. And miracles are happening. The Bible says, great wonders and miracles. That's you. Amen. Philip. Philip's one of those men. He becomes an evangelist. Acts 8, 6. He's in Samaria preaching. Remember this? And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Here's Philip. He just got through giving an older lady money so she could make it to the end of the month and go back. And that there was no government to take care of people. That was what was done. And now Philip's in Samaria Preaching and miracles are happening. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies. Palsies can be uh, shaking of body parts like we would think of Parkinson's or in some cases in the Bible, paralysis like the man lowered through the roof. Many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. These are notable miracles. Philip is not one of the 12. Amen. Just want to make sure we got that, right? Paul's ministry. Acts 19, 11. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Kind of know what a special miracle is because it's explained. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs. Or aprons. I want to stop right there for just a minute. Sometimes people come and they bring a handkerchief or a cloth. And 
ask us to anoint it and pray over it. We do that because it is a token of faith. There's no power in the handkerchief. There's no power in the oil. It's just, it's olive oil, but it's just oil. But it is a symbol of faith. It is what James 5 speaks about. Lay hands on the sick, anointing them with oil. Is that It is an expression of our faith. So from Paul's body, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. I emphasized this verse recently, and it related back to a time when Josh Herring was here preaching, and he mentioned this verse, and it stuck in my mind that something is in a person. It is a sickness in a person. It is a spirit in a person. I'm not saying that sickness and spirit are the same. There is a spirit of infirmity, but there may just be sickness. But the diseases departed from them, and the spirits went out of them. So in the spirit of that, it seems that when we pray, that we're praying healing in, and we're praying sickness out. I've been teaching about the laying on of hands, testimony, praying with people. I think visualizing what happens here helps us have faith for what God is doing. After all, in Mark 11, after the cursing of the fig tree, and the disciples see this, and they marvel at this, Jesus said, for assuredly I say unto you that whoever says to this mountain, you're going to speak to this impossibility, right? Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he asks. Now that's the Bible. Amen. Romans 15, 17. This is a ministry of Paul. I have therefore, I therefore, where of, excuse me, I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. He said, I could brag about my ministry. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. So here it is again. Paul's preaching, but he doesn't just go and tell people a little story. It's not just a Bible study. It is confirmed with signs following. Amen? Everybody with me? Verse 19. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. I think what fully preached the gospel doesn't just mean he preached the whole truth, but it was with word and deed. It had power to back up the word. Yea, so I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. He was an apostle who went where there was nothing and left something behind. A couple more verses. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. That's a great passage beyond the powers part of that. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declared unto you the testimony of God. Paul said, I didn't just come with a fancy speech to try to intellectually persuade you only. The gospel is powerful. It is logical and rational. 
But people aren't converted by an argument. They're converted by the power of God. Amen? They may change their mind. That's what repentance is. But it has the power of God delivers. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. He taught, he wrote, he preached, but it was backed up by power. And he tells us why in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's clear in the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament and New, that we need the power of a corroborating witness when we tell God's story. We need to pray that the Lord would anoint us with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. We need to expect God to back us up. When you, with a calm voice, just share your story and you share the scripture, the word of God, there is a power that is conveyed that is beyond anything that you can comprehend. You should count on it. You should expect it. You should believe that even when you don't see any visible response, that God is working in a human heart. Amen? God is working. God is working through the word. Amen. I'm not going to reread. It's in my notes, Mark 16, but I read it earlier about the signs that follow them that believe. And the Lord worked with them. The word is where we get our word synergy. Sunergo. It is working with them. It is a cooperative effort between the person speaking and the power of the Holy Ghost that is working with them. God gives a synergy of word and spirit. And if you go, God will go with you. And if you will just testify, the Lord will back you up with the power of his spirit. If you're able, please stand. I want to encourage you to pray for opportunities to witness. Ask God to give you an open door. It may start with someone at work who doesn't feel well, or they've suffered loss in their family, or they're going through a tumultuous time in a relationship. They're bound by sin. Whatever they feel comfortable sharing with you, just ask them, would it be all right if I just prayed for you? And you don't have to scream and you don't have to go for the oil, but you can. Just pray for them in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever the context is, amen. He's not, God is not hard of hearing. His ear is not heavy. His arm is not short. You can just pray a simple prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you do, God will be there. And God will work in that person's heart. Amen. I know that we believe that God heals saints. But when you read through the book of Acts, most often miracles confirm the preached word to sinners. That was the purpose of those miracles. To back them up. So I actually have more faith praying for a sinner than I do a saint. I know God loves us. Aren't you glad he loves us? We've seen lots of healings in our lifetime. Miracles of healing. I've seen goiters disappear, legs lengthen. I've seen miracles that God has done. 
greatest miracle is when Jesus Christ convicts the heart of a sinner. They repent. And they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They're born again. Their own nature has changed. So don't be shy. Just pray for boldness. And everywhere we go, expect God to use us.